everybody, and welcome back. It's another episode of Empty Tomb Radio. My name is Dustin. Today, I'm going to go over Matthew 22. Um, trying a little bit different of a recording scenario today, so we'll see how it turns out. It's sounding a little echoey to me. It's sounding a little echoey to me. Hold on one second. Okay. Um, I just listened back. It's kind of weird, but uh, yeah, I think it sounds okay. I'm recording in a different spot than usual. I'm homesick today. Well, I'm not sick. My baby's sick. My daughter's sick. I don't even know if she's sick. She had a she had a fever last night. She had a fever this morning. So um, just to be safe, for all the coronavirus stuff going on. <laughs> I don't want to take her to her babysitter when she had a fever. There's other little kids there, too. You know, I stayed home with her today. And uh, I just set her down for a nap. So if she wakes up, I'm going to have to stop this and go grab her. <laughs> I wasn't planning on recording an episode this morning. It's in the morning time. One thing that I've noticed is that I, I'm much more energetic when I do these at the end of the day. So I'm... I haven't been doing them in the morning. When I first started, I was doing them in the morning before work. And that was uh, it's a little tough to kind of be enthusiastic about what, what was being covered. Um, and those are the ones I was trying to keep under a half hour because I had to start work. So when I do it in the afternoon or after work, I mean, I have as much time as I want and I'm not rushing them. I'm not rushing through my notes. I'm not trying to get through it. So until I figure out a, a, a better schedule, yeah, I'm just going to do it when I have time. How about that? So Matthew 22, I took all my notes yesterday. I was planning on doing this episode tonight, not in the middle of the day, but I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to with her, with my daughter being sick. So anyways, I'm doing it right now. So this is your first time listening. Thank you for joining us. Um, usually takes a while for my ADD to, to hone in on what we're talking about. But we have uh, a beautiful, beautiful setting here in 22. When, when, when we realize where we are in the book of Matthew and the grand scheme of Jesus' life, we're in his final days. Uh, we're, we're coming up to the end real quick. And we see at the end of this chapter that the the opposition to Jesus, their game plan changes. And they're no longer gonna be they're no longer gonna be questioning him because they're not getting anywhere. And we just have such blatant teachings from Jesus in this chapter. He's very direct. He's not beating around the bush for anything. And these guys realize that they they've been defeated. So this is Jesus. This is I guess it was kind of be like his final mental chess match with the Pharisees and then they change their tactics to kind of conspiracy and, and violence after this chapter. But we have a really long parable to go through. Um, it's 14 verses. Uh, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. Then we'll break it down in chunks. And it, it, Jesus is, this is coming out right after his last parable that we ended Matthew 21 with, with the parable of the vineyard. This is another parable about a wedding banquet. So... Let's see what he has to say. Chapter 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them by parables and said, verse 2, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that they were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. 
And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed these murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, they gathered all together, all as many as they found, both good and bad. And the weddings was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man that had not been on the wedding garment. Sorry. He saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And then he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So that was the parable in its entirety. Before we break it down, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Lord Jesus, Please, please help these scriptures come to life. Please help me interpret them. Please speak through me. I pray the Holy Spirit comes over me and anoints your words out of my mouth so that we can um, discuss your pure teaching here, Father. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so what is this parable? 14 verses. First 14 verses of the chapter. It's a longer parable. So verses 1 through 3, we find out that there's there's a wedding for a king's son. So this is a royal wedding. So this is for a prince. It says a certain king arranged this marriage for his son, and he, he got all the wedding together, and he sends out invitations to the land, but the invitations are refused. So Jesus is speaking this parable to the multitudes and to the religious leaders that are standing there. So why were these people not willing to come? Who would refuse an invitation to a royal wedding? Right? There's no logical reason for these people to refuse the invitation. Verses 4 through 7, the king sends out a second invitation. And he starts playing it up. He's like, hey, look, I've, I've got my oxen killed. My fatlings are, are ready. You know, I got all this stuff. It's going to be an awesome wedding. And what happens? The people that receive the message, receive the invitation, they kill the king's messengers. So the king says he was furious and he sent out armies to destroy the murderers. Then verses 8 through 10, the king sends out a third invitation. So this king is determined to have people at his son's wedding. And what's he say? He says, go forget these other people. That are refusing my invitations. Go to the highways. Find anyone you can. Good and bad. They're all invited. The king will have. <laughs> what he set out for. Then. People actually show up to the wedding. And then verses 11 through 14. The king's going around. And he's interacting with the guests. At this wedding. And he comes across a guy who's not wearing a wedding garment. And he says, hey, how come you don't have a wedding garment on? It says the man was speechless. So then they, the king has him seized, tied up, thrown out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I'm assuming since he didn't have a wedding garment that everyone else that went to the wedding had a wedding garment on. Assuming that they would hand these out to the people who were invited to the wedding to make sure that there wasn't 
Um, I don't know any crashers. <laughs> yes, no wedding crashers. But this man, he was there at the wedding in appearance alone. So it doesn't say that he wasn't invited. It just says he didn't have a wedding garment on. So he was invited. A garment was given to him, but he didn't put it on. He didn't put on the garment that the king provided. Oh, boy. My daughter's awake over there. <laughs> She's in her crib. I don't know if you heard that or not. I'm going to have to pause this in just a second and go grab her and pick up in the in a minute. So this parable that we have, when I mean, it's it's pretty apparent what's going on here. The son, the son's wedding, that, that's going to be Jesus, right, in, in his ministry here on earth. And, um, you know, all the, when the king's saying all things are ready for the wedding, that, that's the gospel message, right? The king freely gives out the gospel message to everybody, and it's refused. And check out these Pharisees. So they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, we, we see the Sadducees make a comeback here in this chapter too. They are the guys at the wedding without a garment on. So they're at the wedding. They study the word. They, they're studying scripture. They're there in appearance, but they're not receiving the garment for the son, for the son's wedding. And then what's it say happens to, to that man who's at that wedding without the garment? It says, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which, as we know, we've talked about a lot of times, is a description of hell. Then we see verse 14 again. For many are called, but few are chosen. This must be the third time in the last couple chapters that Jesus has said that. For many are called, but few are chosen. The, the great thing about, about Christianity compared to other religions all the other religions of the world, there are things that you need to do and accomplish in order to get to where you're supposed to go. Christianity stands alone where it says there's nothing that you can do in this world. That will bring you salvation by God's grace alone are we saved. God has grace out for the whole world. Everybody has grace. God just covered the world in grace. But you have to receive it. In order to receive the grace, you have to accept Jesus. You have to believe in your heart that Jesus was who he said he was, right? And you have to profess, proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is God and you can be saved. There are no works involved. There's no elevating yourself to become a God or like a God. There are no strings attached. This isn't a corporation. We aren't moving up the ladder. We're not in for a promotion. You're in or you're out. It is black and white. Many are called, but few are chosen. So before I get on to the next segment, before I get sidetracked, I'm just going to go check on my baby real quick because I hear her calling me from the crib. And uh, I don't know if you if you can hear it or not on the recording, but I'm just going to go check on her, um, have her go to sleep. I'm trying to talk clearly, loudly, and quietly at the same time so I don't, you know, rouse her or keep her from falling asleep. So... Bear with me, uh, just one second, thank you. 
okay, I'm back. But to you, it was like zero seconds. I don't know why I'm even talking about this. I could just not say anything and <laughs> just put a little interlude in, but I'm talking to you like you're here. This is a conversation, right? Let's keep it casual, guys. That's what I tell people that I work with all the time. Like, hey, let's, let's dumb it down. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it casual. <laughs> she's not asleep. I don't know if she's going to go to sleep, but she is so cranky and so tired. And uh, the Motrin kicked in, so she doesn't have a fever anymore. And she's just talkative and, you know, being a little one-and-a-half-year-old. So, anyways, back to the topic at hand. So that was the parable, yeah. So I think most of these parables, well, I mean, all the ones that we've gone through, like the last three or four, have all been directed towards the Pharisees and the religious leaders that were there. Now remember the setting that we're at. So we're at we're in Jerusalem, we're at the capital at Passover. So, you know, all the tourists, all the pilgrims are there. There's the streets are packed, the streets are crowded. This was a major time. You know, this is I don't know, like their Super Bowl <laughs> their Super Bowl parties, you know, like this is everybody's there. This is the the biggest thing. This is like the biggest feast of the year, the biggest deal in Jewish culture. Like this is it. So everyone's in the streets. And the Pharisees are challenging Jesus, and then Jesus is is uh, just just speaking these parables, and they're they're obviously directed to him. And we have them trying to fire back at Jesus right now. So uh, they're they're going to ask Jesus a, a trap question here. So verse fifteen, then went Pharisees and took counsel on how they might entangle him. In his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and thou teachest the way of God and truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. So we see this other group of people here for the first time the Herodians. Herod, Herodians. This is um, followers of the king of King Herod. So it's like King Herod. That's Herod, and then after Herod, I A N S. So we see this group of people for the first time, and they oppose the Pharisees, but they're joining teams together to team up against Jesus. And it says that they counsel among themselves to trap Jesus in the word in his words. So they start with an insulting comment. They say, Master, we know that you are true and that you teach the way of God in truth. But let's, let's be honest here. Like we know these guys don't accept Jesus as master. Verse 17, tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? This is a trap question. Either way that this question was, was, was presented in such a way, if Jesus would have said yes or no, either answer would have been wrong. So it's, should I pay taxes to Caesar and to Rome? Which the people considered to be denying the sovereign God of Israel. And they said, or if Jesus said, no, you should not pay taxes, then he would be an enemy of Rome and subject to Roman discipline. So there was three types of taxes that the Romans charged at this time. So there was a ground tax. They taxed 10% on all their grain, 20% on oil and wine. Then there's an income tax, so you had to pay 1% of your income to the Romans. And then there was another tax called the poll tax, where every man who was age 14 to age 65 and every woman who was age 12 to age 65 had to pay one denarius a year in this poll tax. And this is the tax that they were uh, 
that they were presenting to Jesus. This was the poll tax. So this isn't, they're not talking about the income tax or the ground tax on, on, the, on the, the farm supplies, right? The poll tax was complete submission to Rome. So this is Rome, you know, though, this is Rome just saying, hey, we have your income tax already. We tax all of your products and we wanted you to give us this this little bit too. So the religious zealots at the time, their view on the poll tax was that you were dishonoring God and submitting to full slavery to the pagans who denied the God of Israel. So this is the poll tax. It was already... You know, like the, the radical Jews hated the poll tax already. And if you paid that poll tax, they were saying you were dishonoring God. So with that in mind, we see Jesus' response. So they, they're asking Jesus, is it okay to give tribute to Caesar or not? And then verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? And Jesus says in verse 19, show me the tribute money. And they brought him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose is this image and subscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things that which are Caesar's, and unto God the thing that which are God's. When they had heard these words, they were marveled and left him and went their way. So instead of Jesus saying yes or no, Jesus says, why are you tempting me? <laughs> Show me the money. Show me, give me a coin. And they give a coin and on the coin, there is a picture of Caesar. So Jesus says, whose image is on this coin? And they say Caesar's image. And then he says, therefore, give Caesar the things that which are Caesar's and give God the things that are God's. Render, it says render here. Render means to give back. I think we've seen that in a couple different Jesus adaptations on TV, like in the Bible show, I know for certain, or in that Son of God movie. I think it was in there. Um, there Jesus was so nice and handsome and... and uh, <laughs> peaceful i don't think jesus is is you know being super cordial and peaceful with these guys at this point like after he's flipping over tables and you know he's talking to them in parables about them going to hell and rejecting him and rejecting john the baptist and in, in the last chapter so <laughs> i think we we calm Jesus down a little bit in our minds and in our perceptions of him and in our adaptations of him. But we have some very interesting teachings right here. And these are topics for hot debate because people use these following teachings on kind of how life will be when we die. Um, so verse 23, we are approached by the Sadducees. And if we remember back, I forget which episode it was, but I did a breakdown on the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So real quick, the Sadducees were, they came from like a noble uh not noble, but like a rich, um, rich part of the, the Jewish culture. They were like the aristocrats. They only believed the first five books of the Old Testament, so the Torah. So they, they only believed the first five books of Moses as the truth. And they were anti-anything supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe... In resurrections, they didn't believe anything supernatural. So, 
let's keep that in mind. So let's keep in mind how they don't think any supernatural stuff exists. Even though there's, in the Torah, the first five books, there's all sorts of supernatural stuff going on. <laughs> Genesis and Exodus. Um, let's see what happens. Verse 23. The same day came unto him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up his seed unto his brother. Now, there were seven of us brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? For they all had her. Now, <laughs> these Sadducees bring over, like, this, when I was reading this out loud, it reminds me of, like, a math problem on my son's homework. <laughs> it's, like, all confusing, and you got to go back. Okay, so they're asking him. Okay, so Moses said, back in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10, if a married man dies childless, his brother had to impregnate her the wife, and count that child as the husband's descendant. So they're asking him, after we die and we're in the resurrection, well, first they say, master. First of all, they don't think Jesus is master, so this is like a snarky tone we see already. Moses said, so they're, you know, they're saying, are you, are you better than Moses again? And who... And first of all, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they're, they're challenging. Therefore, in the resurrection. So they're not talking about the resurrection that Jesus is going to have. They're talking about like the afterlife in heaven where we all uh, are still alive, right? We're all still alive in heaven. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall be of the seven? So the first brother dies and then the second brother you know, takes that first brother's wife, and then that guy dies, and then the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh. Now, this isn't a real thing that happened. This is just like in a, a ridiculous problem that they set forth in Jesus' lap. In Jesus' reply, verse 29, Jesus answered them and saying, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. De-supernaturalizing the Bible like the Sadducees did removes the power of God. These guys had a career in scriptures. This is what they did. They studied the scriptures. They studied the Torah. But they still didn't understand And if you deny, <laughs> if you read, I'm just going to talk about the first two books of the Bible. If you read Genesis and Exodus, the power of God is on like full display in both of those books. <laughs> first of all, like the creation account, the flood, delivering the people from Israel, the plagues. Oh, man. What are these guys... <laughs> Never mind. Before, before I go there, let me finish this out. Verses 30 through 33. For, this is Jesus saying, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac? And the God of Jacob. God is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. So Jesus silences these guys. 
And since we know that they didn't believe in supernatural uh, beings and supernatural stuff, Jesus kind of jabs him a little bit here. So he says, for in the resurrection, so like for sure it's a real thing, right? They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. So God talks about the angels. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels because angels are supernatural. So Jesus confirms the angels. He confirms the resurrection. And he says, we do not marry in heaven. Or in paradise, wherever we go and we die, right? In the resurrection, we will be as the angels of God in heaven. Now, this isn't saying that angels of God are incapable of reproducing, as we have seen, right, in Genesis 6. And it talks about it in Jude. And we saw what happened to these angels, which is in First Peter. Like, we know what angels are capable of at this point. And it's just saying the good ones in heaven don't marry. There's no need to marry. There's no need to reproduce. God can do whatever he wants up there. <laughs> he, can, he can create whatever he wants, right? So... I think a common theme, and I've talked about this several times before, is that the enemy has done a fantastic job at de-supernaturalizing the Bible, and that they have been doing it for a long time. We can see even the Sadducees took all the supernaturalism out of the Bible. Now, this isn't a thought for me. Like, I didn't come up with that we've de-supernaturalized it, but it is a, a common topic, and the problem with that is the Bible is, first of all, it's a supernatural book. It's written by many people over a huge amount of time. I would say Eastern part of the world, they're used to, you know, like the mystic religions and stuff. Like they're all about the supernatural. There's supernatural stuff everybody. Here in the Western world... Uh, we have science, and we have physics, who we have guys telling us how things work, right? And they say there is no way that any of this is possible because it doesn't fit into their calculations and their math that they've done. But God is a God of creation. God works out of, the, out of time and space. You can't put God in a box, For a while, I remember I wasn't praying to God about a lot of stuff that I felt wasn't important because, you know, like, for instance, like, God help me uh, be great at work or whatever, because I felt like there was more important stuff that I needed to pray to God about. And my wife told me one day, she's like, don't think you can limit the power of God. Don't think that any prayer is insignificant. And don't think that God doesn't want you to talk to him about what's on your heart. Right? Because God wants a relationship with us. That's why he created us. That's why he made the garden. He wanted a relationship. Certainly, there are many prayers that take precedence over the little things in life. But, uh oh, here she goes. But God is completely fine with us pouring our heart out to him and wanting more of him. All right. Uh, my baby's freaking out. <laughs> She's freaking out over there in the crib. I need to go check on her again. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll be right back. Just, uh, you hear that? Yeah. Oh, man. Just a sec. <laughs> okay, I'm back. I'm back. She's good. My daughter's great. My daughter hates sleeping. She's sick. And I didn't know that kids could do this until recently, but kids can poop on command. They can poop like whenever they want. So when she gets mad and she doesn't want to sleep, what she'll do is she'll just force herself to poop. 
and then she has a dirty diaper, and then I have to go pick her up out of the crib, change her diaper. And the whole time I'm changing her diaper, she's giving me this look like, oh yeah, like I I like I got you. <laughs> she's like giving me this like snarky look, and I'm like, come on, come on, baby, come on. So I changed her. She's clean. I changed her the first time that I left and stopped recording, went over there, changed her, made sure she was warm, it was dark in her room, she had, you know, background music on, perfect, perfect nap environment, very nappetizing. Then I go back right now and she had pooped already. So anyways, getting back into a de-supernaturalizing the Bible, putting God in a box. These are the things that I feel very passionate about. I do want to do future shows on those, so I'll kind of put that to rest for now. But uh, verse 32, um, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So these are all characters in the Bible that the Sadducees are very familiar with. And God is the God... Not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So he's saying that these guys are alive right now. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God. Like, it's not past tense. He's saying, I am the God. They are alive. They are in my kingdom right now. So these Pharisees that are not believing in this supernatural stuff, they're not believing in the resurrection, they're not believing in angels. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all men. They're regular men. Just like the Pharisees were. And they're still alive. And it says, When the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Uh, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard, had heard that the Sadducees were put to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So a lawyer approaches Jesus, a Pharisee lawyer. Guy sounds like fun. Approaches Jesus, trying to trap Jesus again, mocking him with master, which is the great commandment of the law. Jesus breaks down our whole expectation from God, all the laws in the Old Testament, in these two sentences. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God is the easy part. Loving your neighbor, other people, <laughs> not so much. Not so much at all. It doesn't say that you have to love yourself first and then go love your neighbor. No, it says love your neighbor as yourself. So... That is hard. It's very difficult, especially if your neighbors suck. <laughs> I've had a lot of bad neighbors before. Um, but on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So all the laws in the Old Testament, I read yesterday when I was taking these notes, there was like 613 or something, and they were broken into different categories, like these are the lesser laws, these are the, the greater laws, and all this stuff. But Jesus comes in two simple sentences, sums up the whole expectation from God on how we need to live as humans, right? Dumb it down. Dumb it down for me, please. <laughs> Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? So Jesus is asking about himself in the third person. They say unto him, 
the son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. So, they're called, Jesus asked the Pharisees, what do you th- who do you think I am? Who do you think the Christ is, right? Jesus asked a similar question to his disciples a few chapters ago. So Jesus is forcing his adversaries to decide on who he is. They said to him, you're the son of David. This is an Old Testament title for the Messiah. Son of David, Old Testament title for the Messiah. Verses 43 through 45. He, he distinctly separates David's son and David's Lord. So he is both. And this is where we have to realize like. Jesus was 100% God, but also 100% man. So he's referred to as David's son, which is the human side, and then David's Lord, which is the deity of who he is. And then he quotes Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is actually the most quoted Old Testament chapter in the New Testament. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord saith, this is a Psalm of David, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. That's what Jesus is talking about. Psalm 110. Go read Psalm 110. And then this is what I was talking about in the beginning of the episode where I said, after this, after this chapter, the Pharisees aren't going to try to play uh, scripture chess match. Scripture chess match with Jesus anymore. It says no man was able to answer him a word, and from that day forward, no man asked him any more questions. So now they're going to resort to conspiracy and violence against Jesus. So this whole thing started out with, if we go all the way back to chapter 22, Jesus kills the fig tree, comes back to the temple the day after they flip the tables. Now, there's nothing in here. It says the same day, right? Verse 23, um, it said it was the same day. It was the same day. So it's like a long day for Jesus just going through and having all these teachings and battling these Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians all day. But it started out with them saying, Jesus, who do you think you are? On whose authority do you have to come into the temple and flip the tables? And Jesus says to them, "Let me. I'll answer your question if you answer my question. John the Baptist's ministry, was it from, from God or was it from man? The Pharisees refused to answer him. So this all started with the Pharisees and the religious leaders trying to put Jesus on the spot in front of all the crowds at Passover. But instead of that, Jesus goes through parable of two sons, parable of the vineyard, Parable of the wedding banquet, the tribute to Caesar, the teachings on the resurrection, the great commandments. And it sums he sums it up with him confirming that he is the Messiah by quoting Psalm 110 with David. And they gave up. <laughs> he defeated them. He did he did more than defeat them. He buried them like so bad and under all the scripture. So what turned out as an attack on Jesus from the Pharisees, them trying to ridicule him in public in front of the multitudes, backfired on them big time. What did Jesus say to the devil? What is it, Matthew chapter 4? It says, it is written, do not put 
your the Lord God to the test. <laughs> and we saw what happened when he was put to the test by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Rodians here. There is no winning against God. There is no winning against God. It doesn't have to be a battle. That's the thing. There is no fight. There doesn't have to be a battle against God. The humans were logical and were rational, right? And we trust a, a science book over the Bible, which both take equal amounts of faith, right? So, as we, we leave this podcast today, I just want you to think of what areas of the Bible, what areas you think have been de-supernaturalized and the effect that it's had on us, because I think it's had a major effect to the, to the point where churches don't even talk about this stuff anymore. Churches don't talk about sin and repenting and hell. They talk about the the three ways that you can, you know, you can have a great Easter or whatever. Like, you need some things. I listen to Omega Frequency a lot. BDK is always like, you know, they have these pastors... Throwing around beach balls and flip-flops. <laughs> That's what church is with your coffee shop. They have to have a gimmick, right, to get you in the door. It's about numbers. They're running a business. They're not worried about souls. If you have a church that is, stay there. I'm trying to find one right now in my new area that I live. So, uh I believe that the Lord will will take me there. I just have a hard time after going through scripture like this, after talking about it, I have a hard time walking into a church and having them read no scripture and giving sermons on these crazy things, right? On how to have a sound mind and all this garbage. Like, where's the church at? And the people are eating it up is the worst part. Who did Jesus drive out of the temple when they were selling things in front of in front of the temple, right? He 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 was driving out those who who sold the merchandise and the and the doves that were super marked up, right? But he also drove out the people who bought it too. So people are buying in all this stuff too. He drove them out as well. Read your Bibles. Dive in. Ask questions. Find a place that talks about the important issues. If your church never talks about end times, then you're at the wrong church. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Um, I appreciate all you guys. Thank you so much. These episodes have been kind of choppy lately. Um, it's... I don't, have a st- I don't have a studio. I'm just a regular guy who works a job who has kids that get sick. And I'm doing my best to study the word and to pump out podcasts about it. Uh, because honestly, like this is something that I, I really enjoy doing and something that I feel passionate about. And I want to get better. And I'm just trying, trying my best. Um, I'm going to stop saying that I'm going to come out with one tomorrow or something. Because two days ago, I said I had three I wanted to do. And I didn't do any. I barely got to this. I still have those. Um, Lord willing, if I have time today, you know, um, my daughter goes down for a second nap, I'll do another bonus episode. But um, if not, then I'll just see you when I see you. And if this happens to be the last podcast that you ever hear, Will you be one of the people at the wedding with the wedding garment? Are you going to be the guy at the table who's there physically but hasn't received what the king has provided and gets thrown out or into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? Where are you? What side are you on? 
As I said, the battle lines haven't been drawn. What side are you on? So um, with that being said, reach out to me if you have any questions. Any questions for me? Anything you want me to cover? Anything that I missed? Anything uh, you want to talk about? Anything you want me to talk about? Let me know. Empty Tomb Radio, all the socials. Empty Tomb Radio at Gmail. Um, share this with somebody if you got something out of it. Um, this is just a tool that I'm giving to the Lord to use. I'm not profiting of this in any way. This is... This has no strings attached, right? So... If you need prayer, last thing, if you need prayer, big or small, if it's a work thing, if it's a health thing, or if you can't stop stubbing your toe in the morning, anything at all, let me know. I'll be happy to pray for you. It doesn't have to be on air, but it could be just by, just privately by myself. Um, so with that being said, um, I'll see you all next time. We'll close out with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, your teachings are so impactful to me, Lord. I, I pray that they are, are abundantly more impactful to people that hear it from me, Father. There's been no greater teacher than you. We know that you are alive. We know that all the great prophets and all, all the great people in the Bible, Lord, are still alive. And, and one day, Lord, when this life comes to an end, we pray that we can be alive with you in your kingdom in paradise next to you. Please forgive us for our transgressions, Father. Please help us silence the enemy. Help us silence the Pharisees in our lives and help us focus on you. I pray that you're the focal point in all of our lives. Father, Thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. And I thank you for your guidance. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for putting up with this choppy episode and a bunch of different segments. <laughs> My baby's still crying. Uh, I'm going to go spend some time with her. I love y'all. I thank y'all. Take care. Bye.